The following message is from the audio teaching library of the Briarwood Pulpit, a ministry of the Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. Our speaker is Dr. Harry Reeder, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church. It is our hope and prayer that this message will equip and encourage you in your walk with Christ, and as a result, you will be used by our Lord as an instrument of change to further His kingdom and bring honor and glory to the name of Christ. Here now is our pastor-teacher, Harry Reeder. If you're able, please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. And I'm going to ask that you turn to Ephesians 4 with me. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at two passages today, so have your Bibles open and ready. Turn them on or turn in them, whichever you got there today, all right? Ephesians chapter 4. We now turn in this affirmation in our study of God's Word using the apparatus of the Apostles' Creed that gives us this confession of essentials. Now, it's not all of the essentials of the of New Testament Christianity, but it does contain essentials that uh, we use in worship, we use for discipleship, and we use to protect the church in order to make sure that we don't fall into false doctrine. That's the right use of creeds and confessions, Apostles' Creed, Westminster Confession, Larger and Shorter Catechism, all of them. So we're taking our time to look through this matter of Christianity 101, and we find ourselves at the affirmation, seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. To get there, let's come to a passage that gives some explanation, a seminal passage on that, to be read in your hearing, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. Would you look there with me? And I want you to remember... Verse 7, you underline it in your mind or your Bible, but grace was given to each one of us according. How did you get this grace? According to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he, here's the quote from the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, in saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also had descended into the lower regions, that is the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens so that he now might fill all things. The grass withers, the flower fades, the word of our God abides forever. By his grace and mercy, may his word be preached for you. Please be seated. So did any of you, do any of you still, I want you to remember this, I'm coming back to it. Do any of you, Still have any of your children's books you grew up with? You still have them? Nobody? I do. I've even got my dog I've had since I was four years old. He's not a real one, but uh, uh, but I still got that. Did any of you uh, buy children's books for your kids or your grandchildren? There's a certain kind I want to mention to you in a minute that I found unbelievably helpful as an illustration to understand the Bible from in a P 
postgraduate theology course under Dr. Sinclair Ferguson. And um, it's amazing what an illustration will do when you're dealing with complexities and challenges and uh, in the simplicity, yet the depth and sometimes complexity of God's word. So hold on to that. Let me ask you to remember where we are. We've been tracking with the flow of the Apostles Creed that is Trinitarian. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Then it goes to the second person of the Trinity. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead and buried. And I'll quote from the original. uh, He descended into Hades. The third day he rose again. He ascended into heaven. And here's where we are today and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he shall come to judge the quick or the living and the dead. Now, I'll just stop there. Then you go to the Trinity, the third person of the Trinity. I believe in the Holy Spirit, uh, the Holy Christian Church or the uh, the Holy, um, uh, the Holy Catholic Church. And then on to the matter of the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, resurrection of body and the life everlasting. And we'll get to all of that. But right now, come back with me to this affirmation sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And I want to get there with you. And I want to get a point across that I mentioned last week that I believe and I, I, I know I'm, I'm borderline on this, but I believe uh, from another professor that challenged me, I believe that this is in that second section where obviously our focus is brought as brought set. There are a hundred words in the Latin translation of the Apostles Creed. Seventy five of them deal with who Jesus is. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, and what Jesus did conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead and buried, descended to Hades. Third day, he rose again from the dead and ascended to heaven, sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And from there, he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And that flow in that and that part of the Apostles Creed is following what you find in First Corinthians 15, Ephesians chapter one. And most of all, I love it in Philippians chapter two, have this mind in yourselves, which was in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself and being found and he humbled himself by being found in appearance as a man. And he humbled himself to the point that's called the humiliation of Christ to his death, his burial, his human body tomb, his human soul, Hades, three days. Then comes exaltation. On the third day, he arose. Now, many of us, and you can see it in the church. I mean, how many of us are from churches that even remember Ascension Sunday on the calendar? But we remember Holy Week, death, burial, resurrection, don't we? And rightly so. It's, I mean, that is the very heart of the gospel. You know, when I was a kid, my dad and mom, one Sunday in October, usually the third or the fourth week of October, we would go to church and then we would leave church. We would jump in the car and we would go. It's an hour and 45 minutes and we would be up into the Blue Ridge Mountains. And when we would get up into the Blue Ridge Mountains, I remember one time in particular as dad is taking us and I've got, you know, me and my three sisters are in the back and. 
we won't talk about what was happening back in the back seat. And then, uh, but we, Dad pulls over to these beautiful outlooks on the uh, uh, on the parkway, and we got to this one outlook, and I stood out, and it just seemed like the whole world was underneath it. And I mean, even me, a 16-year-old boy at the time, I was absolutely moved by looking. I said, "Dad, this is unbelievable." He said, "Son, you haven't seen anything yet." We get back in the car. He goes around a few more curves. We go up another seven, eight hundred feet, maybe more than that. I don't know. Then we get out on an overlook and the vista was just majestic. Well, folks, that's the way I think you look at the exaltation of Christ. You followed his humiliation to save us from our sins. He says it's finished. Then he submits to the power of death with his body going to the grave and his soul to Hades. Peter makes a big deal out of all of that when he preaches the gospel in Acts chapter 2. In Acts chapter 2, he says, this Jesus, born of the virgin, this Jesus who lived in Nazareth, this Jesus whom you crucified, this Jesus who was crucified, dead and buried, And then he said, this Jesus, his body was, and the quote is from Psalm 16, the quote about the Messiah. His body was not left in the grave and his soul was not abandoned in Hades. And in Acts chapter 2, he says, and God brought his soul and his body and united it on the third day and he rose again. And now in that glorified body ascended. Now stop and think about that just for a moment. Up until 2,000 years ago, we have a trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. What does the Bible say about God, who dwells as one God in three persons? God is a, come on, you can tell me, can't you? First opening statement of the catechism about God. God is a spirit. That's first, second, And third person. When Jesus comes, he is spirit. Then he humbles himself, conceived by the Holy Spirit, to get a true body. By a man came death, by a man must come the resurrection of the dead. And so he takes upon himself a true body, the word became flesh and dwelt among us as one of us, with us. True body, true soul. He lives this perfect life and a rejected life. On that body, he bore our sins. And then, and then he died. And when he died, he, as the catechism says, he submitted in his humiliation to the power of death for three days with a body in the grave and a soul that is in Hades. Now, not just anywhere in Hades. There are two dimensions in Hades, abyss and torment for the fallen angels and 
and unbelievers. And then that's the intermediate state of torment. Then the intermediate state of blessing in Hades called or Sheol called uh, called paradise or Abraham's bosom. And he is there for three days. That's why he said to the criminal, I'll be with you today. You'll be with me in paradise. That intermediate state and not to the final state, which is the new heavens and the new earth. But in that intermediate state, but his soul is an abandoned or his body corrupt and he is brought forth and he is raised. Glory, victory. But I believe that's the first out. That's the first overlook. Listen, I'm not downplaying the resurrection. I understand its importance in theology. I would have never got past Dick Gaffin's systematic theology class if I didn't know it. But the resurrection sets up the ascension. Now, with this glorified body, he ascends. Now, who is it that ascends? Well, Paul tells you in this text, the one who ascended is the one who descended. He descended for a task. He descended for a work. And what was his work? He came to save his people from their sins. That was his work. His work was, he came, now please remember this, he came to save his people from their sin. And at the depth and the nadir of his humiliation, what does he say on the cross? Tetelestai, it, that work is finished. He has accomplished our, through his humiliation and atoning death, he has accomplished our salvation. Then, on the third day, he is risen. God's announcement of victory, of the task that his son has embraced, fully God and fully man, to save us. He announces it with the resurrection. Now, he, after 40 days, ascends into heaven. Now he comes back in coronation and in celebration. And the picture doesn't register with us because we didn't live back there. They would have remembered this from their history as Jews in the nation of Israel. They would have remembered this from Assyria, Babylon, now Rome, is that whenever the king would go to do battle, he would leave the... the um, the heights of his palace, he would descend into the valley, and as he descends, he would become a warrior king, and if he wins the victory and wins the victory, he comes back. His chariot is full of the plunder and the reward of the victory, and tied to the chariot are the captives. Remember this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, he wins, he takes back all of the utensils of the temple, and he has tied to him Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach. That was a picture they would say that's what he's giving you is that the king has come he has done battle with his enemies sin Satan death hell in the world and you and me for while we were yet enemies Christ died for us and when he ascends he has the rewards of his victory and he has us And Romans and Colossians and Galatians tell us when he ascended, we ascended positionally with him. 
We are joint heirs with Christ. Now, not yet is it in its fullness. But now we have ascended with him. We are the captives that he has led into his ascension and to his coronation and celebration. And there he sits at the right hand of the father doing what? He is giving gifts. Do you remember how it started off? To each one of us, a measure of grace was given according to Christ's gift. Do you have grace? If you have grace, it's because the ascended Christ poured forth the gift of who? The Holy Spirit. So he now, having finished this task, having accomplished our redemption, has now ascended, coronated, seated at the right hand. Now remember, God doesn't have a hand. That's baby talk for us. What's a right hand? That's power. That's that's. Now I know some of you are left-handed. We pray for you. The world turns to the right. You'll be okay. But normally people are right-handed. So when they're right-handed, back that's how it got started, shaking hands, is when you came to someone to touch them with affection and your right hand opened, that means I don't have a weapon in my strong arm. So the right hand was the place of honor and power. Jesus is now as the coronated, risen, glorified Christ in bodily form that you will be able to see for all eternity. Now is ascended there and from that throne gives gifts to men. And they all come from Pentecost. So three days Forty days teaching, he ascends ten days later, Pentecost, the gift comes. And the gift is poured out upon his people. And now, he will keep, he will stay there until he, remember, fills all things with his spirit through his people. He fills us He fills the world with the gospel. He's filling the world with the kingdom, going to all of the nations, the gospel of the kingdom, as he is filling all things. And when that gospel has filled the earth and all of his have been brought to him, Father, all whom you've given me, task number one, I lose not one. Task number two is I will now send this gospel through the kingdom by the power of the Spirit with the Word of God throughout all the world. And then as this Word goes to all the world, nations tremble, sinners surrender and tremble no more. That is going to all the world. And when the last nations reached and the last one brought in, then he rises from the seat. And he comes in consummation to judge the living and the dead. You see, one of the ways for you to understand this seated at the right hand of God, the Father, has been very helpful through the way God has unfolded this in his Bible, Old Testament to New Testament. It's really, really helpful for us. But you have to kind of understand it rightly. Back in this Old Testament, there's event after event, there's prophecy, there's promises, there's types, there's shadows, there's symbols. There are all these things that are there. And then you get to the New Testament and there's exposition. 
of the gospel work of Jesus recorded in the four gospels. And I love the way Dr. Ferguson helped us as postgraduate theological students understand it. He said, let me, let me give you one. You, ever, you heard of children's books? Yes. Have you ever heard of a particular kind called pop-up? A pop-up children's book? Why are y'all looking so blank at me? Now, guys, I know you. I've watched you go to the bookstore on Mother's Day and get a pop-up card. I know just so you make it. I mean, you forgot. You went in there. Praise the Lord. There's one. All I got left is a pop-up. Oh, that'll work good. And you take it home with you. That pop-up book, remember it? You would open a page and something would pop up to teach you. You opened the next page and not only did that pop up, but something else popped up with it. Then you opened up another page and that popped up with it and this thing is growing. Then you open up a page and it lays over and everything gets labeled to tell you what it is. I love that's your Bible. The Old Testament's your pop-up book. Abraham, take your son, your only son, and I, your God, call you to sacrifice it. Knowing it's a promise, son, that if the sacrifice goes forward, as he expected it to, then God would raise him from the dead. So he says to his servants, we'll be back. And then he takes him up and his son says, who is the sacrifice? And he lays him down and he raised the knife. Wait, Abraham. Now I know. Now you have displayed your love for me. And over here is a ram caught in a thicket. That's a pop-up. There's a father who will give his only son as a sacrifice. But there won't be a lamb caught in the thicket. He'll be the lamb to save us from our sins. Or you've got in the book of Exodus, plague after plague after plague after plague, and you get to the plague of death. That is the death of the firstborn. And then he says to his people, but you have a meal. Eat it in haste. Don't leave anything there. You've got to eat the whole thing. And when you eat the whole thing, you rise up and you're ready to go. And there will be a lamb that will be slain. So you take that blood and you put it with those three stripes over the over the doorpost. And as you put those three stripes, when I see that blood, I'll pass over you. That's a pop up. There's a lamb. Who will die for us so that we might live in him and for him. And the judgment of God on the judgment day will pass over us because it fell on him. But maybe the pop up of all that I love more than any is the tabernacle, the temple, where they, they're delivered out of Egypt. And as they're delivered out of Egypt and they come out, God says, build this tabernacle. And he lays it out in design. Then he brings it forward. And later there's the Solomonic temple laid out in design. And if you live there in Israel at that time and you were dwelling in Jerusalem, you got a visual lesson, a pop-up book every single day from the design that was laid out in the scripture. Pop-up page number one is you would see the temple and you would see those 15 steps by the way when I take people to Israel I walk them up those same 15 steps they're still there and then you've arrived at the now all of this is gone now but then you arrive at the court of the women I mean the court of the Gentiles and the court of the women and the court of Israel and then behind the curtain 
the dwelling place of God. That God will dwell and bring people to him from the Gentiles, male, female. He is going to do this work. God's teaching us. But to get there, you've got to have a mediator. So God puts a high priest. And that high priest is supposed to teach. That high priest is supposed to do mercy with the storehouse of mercy. That high priest is to bring people for the prayer of all the nations. That high priest is to bring sacrifices as the people gather to worship the Lord. And on behalf of the people, he then goes into the Holy of Holies for them. Do you see what God is doing? Then he gives another pop-up page in that temple. It's called Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And on that day, there in that place, with those courts leading up to the Holy of Holies, there the high priest receives the scapegoat. And he takes symbolically the sins of all the people, for that is how God has designed his dress. With his ephod, his urim, and his thummim next to his heart, the twelve stones of the twelve tribes. And then to confess the sins of the people, he lays his hands upon the scapegoat, and he sends the scapegoat off of Temple Mount, out of the walls, and out into the wilderness, expiation to take Take away the sins of the people. The people need their sins taken away from them. Then he takes a lamb. And this day has been full. Folks, listen, I know we look at this and we think Cecil B. DeMille and there's a beautiful, somehow we'll do some kind of a and flowing. If you had been there that day, those priests would have been covered. Please pardon me, but I've got to get the point across what you would have seen. Blood, guts, gore from thousands of sacrifice. God's got a pop-up book. Sin cost. The wages of sin is death. Look at the deaths. Look at your sin. Can you find a way? Can there possibly be a way for us to be saved? And the pop-up book is in front of us. The Bible says the blood of the Kidron Brook would run red through the blood pouring out from Temple Mount on that day. And then he would take the sacrifice and he would be dressed and at the hem of his garment would be the bells. And then bearing the sins of the people and confessing them with the lamb, already having done the scapegoat, now with the lamb, now we look at propitiation. How can our sins be paid for? A substitutionary sacrifice. So they see the priest process from one court to the next court to the next court. They see him. They hear him. But then they no longer see him. 
But praise God, they can still hear him. The bells ring. That's crucial because he is now in the presence of God. Number one, the Bible says no man can be in my presence and what? Live. Number two, the wages of sin, which he's now confessionally as a mediator is bearing to before the throne of God. The wages of sin is what? Death. I will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. And they see him no more, but then they hear him. And so he is doing the work. But there's another pop-up page. The next pop-up page is this one. They're right back next year to do it again. And then the next year. And then the next year. And then the next year, what does that tell you? God's teaching us something, but what's there doesn't work. If it worked, we wouldn't have to come back. It's not working. Let me put it this way. The how is working. A mediator and a substitutionary sacrifice. But the who And the what is not working. That mediator needs his own mediator. That sacrifice cannot remove the sins of men and women. Yes, a sacrifice, substitutionary sacrifice. Yes, a mediator, but not that mediator and not that sacrifice. What you and I need to see is this. Is that God, to have a relationship with God, and God made you to have a relationship with him. To have a relationship with God, we must be saved. To have a personal relationship, to glorify God and enjoy him forever, we have to have. We, to have that relationship, we have to be saved from our sins. The second thing you and I need to realize is we can't save ourselves from our sins. We're incapable. We're impotent. We can't do it. We cannot save ourselves. Our religion, our religion, uh, imagine religious imaginations can't do it. We cannot save ourselves. God is holy and just and cannot abide sin. We need to be saved from our sins. But we can't save ourselves from our sins. But praise God. I don't stop with number two. I'll go to number three. God, when there was no way, made a way. And that way is his son, Jesus, who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that's why you got the pop-up book. Now, folks, get this. You don't have a pop-up book and Jesus and God says, oh, look what's happened over the last, uh, look what's happened over the last 3,000 years. I know what I'll do. I'll pull all this together with Jesus. No, no, no. God knows what he's going to do from the very foundation of the world. God has ordained his work to alleviate what we authored in our sin. And he is now going to author our salvation by grace, which is greater than our sin. And to do that, he is going to do that through his son. His son is both the who and the what. He is the mediator and he is the sacrifice. And so he will be the one who will do it for us and in our place. 
So, God in the Old Testament gives you the pop-ups. Then, he takes his son and fulfills it. And then the New Testament is the layover to explain it all. Oh, Jesus is the temple. Jesus is the tabernacle. Jesus is the sacrifice. Jesus is the prophet. Jesus is the priest. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the offering. Jesus is the ark. All of those pop-ups, they find yes and amen in Jesus. And that's how he lays it out for us. Now, I want to one, read one passage and then close in prayer with the takeaway. Would you go with me to Hebrews chapter 10? Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews chapter 10. Just walk through it with me. I, I hope, God willing, to be able to start the series on Romans in January. And then I hope God sovereignly, providentially, in some place, some way, some fashion, before I go to heaven, lets me preach through Hebrews. I love Hebrews. Hebrews explains the pop-ups. It's glorious how the second explains the first. Look at what it says in chapter 10. I'm going to come back here next week to another passage, but let me give you this one to close out today. For since the law... Has but a shadow. Now, that's not just the Ten Commandments. That's the whole Pentateuch law, the law of God, including the ceremonies and the sacrifices and the priesthood. For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come. In other words, it's not the substance. It's the shadow. It's not the real thing. It's the copy. Since it's the shadow of the things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered? In other words, he said, listen, if this thing worked, they wouldn't be back every year to do it again. Wouldn't need to. But otherwise, would they have not ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer cleanse, would no longer have any consciousness of sins. But in these sacrifices, But let me say what these are. These sacrifices by this law that's ordained, there is a reminder. It is there for instruction that you're a sinner. You need a savior. It is there as a reminder of sins. It's God's pop up in the tabernacle, in the temple, and it pops up every year. And he's telling you something. You're a sinner and you need a savior. And this priest can't do it. And these sacrifices can't do it. And so he says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. They tell you how you need a sacrifice. But the who, the one that brings it, the mediator, and the what, the lambs, can't do it. You need a mediator from God. You need the lamb of God. Consequently, now watch, consequently to the fact that these things can't do it. They can't save you. Consequently to that, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me and burnt offerings and sin offerings. You take no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Now, stop right there. Those are quotes out of the Old Testament. And what he is saying, the Messiah is saying, this is what Jesus is saying. I'm not coming to bring sacrifices and offerings. In other words, Jesus is coming as the mediator. 
But he is not bringing another lamb, another bull, another goat. They can't do it. Well, what is he doing? He's bringing himself. A body you have prepared for me. I will bear their sins, not symbolically, but actually in my own body. He who knew no sin became sin on our behalf. He is saying those sacrifices, they teach you something needs to be done, but they can't do it. I will bring it. I'm the mediator and I am the sacrifice and I have a body. A true human body where I can pay for all of your sins. Then pick up next. When he said, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. What he is saying is, yes, you've been doing this and it's doing its job of teaching you as the pop up. But it's not the substance. Now, let me tell you what the substance is. It's me. I'm the high priest. I am the sacrifice. And that's why I've come. Behold, I have come to do your will. Uh, that is to save your people from your sins, from their sins. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ has offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies shall be made a footstool for his feet for a single offering. He has greed perfected for all time since though um, protected for all time, those who are being set apart, who are being sanctified. You see what he's saying, folks? Pop-ups over, page comes, the sacrifices pointed to Jesus. He's the Lamb of God. The priest pointed to Jesus. He's the priest. Now, this God has taken upon himself true humanity, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, and he has taken your place. And now, see the priest walk in. Hear the bell. See the priest again. Jesus goes to the cross. We don't hear the bell for three days. Then it rings and we see him. And now it's done. Tetelestai. It's finished. We're not coming back to Calvary again. And he ascends. The king victorious. He has done what only God could do. And that is to save us from our sins through his son, who is mediator and sacrifice. And when he did it, we don't get another pop up. He has fulfilled it and it doesn't have to be repeated. It's done once and for all. That's why. He ascends and sits. Now, not in passivity. He now starts another task. He has finished the task of our redemption and salvation at the cross. Now, he's got another task. And that task is to work on the redeemed. To bring them from every nation by the power of the Spirit of God, whom he pours out from the throne. 
That's what he is doing now. And when that has happened and all things are filled, then he arises and he comes again. So as he arises and comes again, then we have victory. So let me give you this in closing. I'll just give you the takeaway and we'll close in prayer. The purposes of the humiliation and exaltation of Christ is simply yet profoundly. Please get this. Why did Jesus come conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, crucified, dead, and in the power of death for three days, his body there and his soul in Hades paradise? Why does he do that? To save us from our sins. And now he is exalted so that the one who has accomplished our salvation is now sending forth his spirit to apply that salvation to all the world. And now that he he has done this to save sinners from their sins into a personal relationship with the God of glory and majesty by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Your baptism doesn't add to it. It, it declares it. Your good, your good works, your giving, your worship, none of that adds to this work of, of salvation. It evidences the work of salvation and the presence of the Spirit of God in your life. That's what it does. But he has sat down and he has secured with himself and his own sacrifice, bearing your sins. And you and I are forgiven. And that's why he came. He came to save us from our sins. So nations, lift up your doors and tremble at his word. For there is a Savior, but he alone is Savior. King of kings and Lord of lords. You need to tremble at his word. And then when his word comes, it returns. Removes all trembling because I am assured of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. America, you can put the cultural elite to do all that you desire, but God's people have a king, and God's people have the spirit of Christ from that king, and we are ambassadors of Christ, and we go with the authority of the king, and when we go with the authority of the king, we don't go looking for your permission, although we're grateful for it, and it's a good idea for you to open up the gates for that the king of glory may come in but we come we come with a message our king is enthroned and he has sent us and is filling the whole world as he fills us with his spirit to take that gospel what's the gospel that sinners are saved from the penalty of sin the guilt of sin the shame of sin they are saved from the persuasion of sin the power of sin they are being saved from the practice of sin and one day when he gets up and comes, we'll be saved from the presence of sin. That's our message. Jesus did not come to be an entertainer for our amusement. Jesus did not come as a consultant for your business success. Jesus did not come as a therapist so how you could get along in this world and manage other people and manage all the things of this world. Jesus came to save you from your sins. He may give you a business. In his providence. He will certainly teach you how to honor him in it. He may give you. Not the fleeting world's. Applause of self esteem. But the majestic work of self respect. Because of the blood of Jesus. And the glory of self denial. 
And oh, we don't look for entertainment, but we rejoice, not in amusement. We rejoice that we have been counted saved. That's what happens to the disciples. Said to them, disciples, I must go away. No, no, Jesus. No, 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 no. No, it'll be better for you. No, 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 Jesus. Then he goes to the cross. Three days, resurrection. Forty days, teaching. And when he ascends, the Bible says, they went back from the Mount of Olives rejoicing. No more self-pity. Rejoicing. Why? Our king has won the victory. He ascended. When he ascended, we ascended with him. Our king is going to send forth the spirit of God. Ten days later, there he came. Our king is going to send us into all the world and we can live and die for Jesus, whether by life or death, Christ be exalted. Our king is going to fill all things and turn the world upside down. And our king is there. And when I sin and confess my sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's why they then rejoiced. And that's why we rejoice. I'll just uh, um, here's our close. I promise. Let me just say this. I love our Advent celebrations. I love our concert. Hallelujah. And we call it hallelujah because it is hallelujah. He came to save us from our sins. And we always end. Remember with what? The hallelujah chorus. Now, I am just a Neanderthal when it comes to music. But I sit right there each and every time that that hallelujah chorus is sing. And that the bass do it, and then the altos do it, and the tenors do it, and then the sopranos hit it, and then they reverse it, and the sopranos hit it, and the altos and the tenors, and then the basses hit it, and then they get to all of that, and I'm just ready to be taken up into glory. Hallelujah. And then out of that orchestra comes the trumpet. And we do it again except three octaves higher. Well, that's the way I, be, I feel when I get to this point of the Apostles' Creed. He ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father. Therefore, I can stand in his presence and he is with me until the end, which is the beginning of forever. He came. Now he fills us. And the Spirit says to you, come. And the church says to you, come. And I plead with you, come. There are no other books. This is the way, the truth, and the life. God has laid this out over 1,600 years in his Bible. And his son now reigns. Come to him who came for you by the spirit who has come and says to you, just as I am, I come. Let's pray. Say, Pastor, I've not yet come to Jesus, but I do, I do, I do, I want to. God brought me here for a reason today. God spoke to my heart. Jesus spoke to me today. I'm praising God. I don't live in the shadows and the types and the promises anymore. 
I now live in the fulfillment of what's finished. And I want him to finish his work in me. Jesus, I come. If you'd like to pray with someone or talk with someone, please know we're available. Just call upon us. And together we'll call upon the Lord and go to the Lord who came for you. Jesus, will you please, may I ask you to please fill us with the presence of your power and your Holy Spirit so that we may declare to the world our Savior has come, King Jesus. He has ascended and enthroned and his redeeming work has made a propitiation and an expiation of our sins. And you are now satisfied with him, our mediator, our redeemer, and with him who is our sacrifice. May we take that message to a world that's looking everywhere for an answer. And then, Jesus, when we take it in the power of the Spirit, would you, by, their, by the power of the Spirit, allow them to have eyes to see and ears to hear? And we rejoice in the cross and the crown of King Jesus. Amen. You have been listening to a message by Harry Reader, Senior Pastor of Briarwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham, Alabama. For more information on the resources available through Briarwood Presbyterian Church, or for more information on the teaching ministry of Pastor Reader, visit us at briarwood.org or call 205-776-5200.